The following is presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Lady, don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Yeah, the luxurious thing. Carries herself like the cutest, most prettiest thing you've seen this side of the bay. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, white nationalism and its impacts on our collective futures and our sanity, we cover it all. We know that no matter where you are, it's a challenging time, a changing time, a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99 because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. guest this week is the chair and spokesperson for the Confederated Villages of Lachon Ohlone. She is the co-founder and lead organizer for Indian People Organizing for Change, a small native-run organization that works on indigenous people's issues. Her life's work has led to the creation of Sagoriate Land Trust, a women-led organization within the urban setting of her ancestral territory of the Bay Area. Sigoriate Land Trust works to return indigenous land to indigenous people and calls on people to heal and transform legacies of colonization, genocide, and to do the work our ancestors and future generations are calling us to do. I am so excited to have this incredible, incredible woman on and to find out more about her excellent, brilliant, inspiring work. Please welcome Karina Gould. Karina, hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Alicia, I am so blessed to be here in space with you today. So thank you so much for inviting me. It is absolutely an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Listen, we are, I don't even want to say we're in the middle anymore. When we started this podcast, we had just kind of entered into this massive public health crisis, otherwise known as the Rona. Now we are two years in plus, and people seem to have forgotten that there's still a pandemic happening, but we have not forgotten here over at Lady Don't Take No. So let me ask you, Karina, what has your pandemic life been like? And have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So (laughs) Zoom world, right? I have um, been in Zoom world for two plus years and like many of us, um, have been made up my home and my office at my kitchen table. And (laughs) what I found was really interesting was that even though I'm sitting in my kitchen a few steps from a bathroom, that the way that uh, this Zoom life has created, it 
hardly gives me time to go to the bathroom or get a, totally. some food in my stomach, totally. even though I'm in my kitchen. Um, totally. And so I think I've developed some horrible um, <laughs> habits in doing that. But um, I'm thankful that because of the Zoom world, I've been able to connect with people all over the world, that I've been able to be in space with people from all the different places in the country at the same time, and uh, that we've been able to have some really meaningful conversations and have been able to do some amazing work, even though we're sitting at our kitchen tables. I love that. Listen, so people kind of started going into this like do-it-yourself mode, right? People started planting gardens, baking sourdough bread from scratch. I know I am a a survivor of failed sourdough experiments (laughs) on my kitchen counter. Uh, Shout out to Malachi for letting me do that about six times before he was like, okay, no more. (laughs) No more sourdough starter. I don't know. I learned how to do my own manicures because that's how I am. I needed to learn how to do my own nails because the nail shops were closed. Give us the scoop on your pandemic skills. I think we're entering into the apocalypse. And so I just got to know what you bring into the table. Wow. You know, I'm going to tell you the first thing that I did, you know, we were all sitting there trying to figure out what are we going to do when we're sitting down, right? We were. I call it Mother Earth sit time. Mm-hmm. She finally told us all to sit down so mm-hmm. she could begin to breathe again. Right. Um, but, you know, everybody has Tupperware and they don't have lids to go to them. I actually <laughs> sorted that out. Totally. Right? And, uh, you know, then I had a whole list of closets I wanted to go through. None of that other stuff. The only thing that got done, I think, was the Tupperware and growing food in my own backyard. And also... Um, looking at how to take care of other people that were immunosuppressed or elders. And Segorite Land Trust uh, was blessed to be able to do that, to figure out how to get food out to people that needed it. And that wasn't something that we had originally started to do, but that we were able to work with farms that were close by. And uh, when the restaurants all closed down, there was this access of fruits and vegetables that we had access to. And we're able to give out. And we've continued to do that as we've gone forward, even though people are going to grocery stores now and doing uh, all of that, that Segorite has figured out that there's a place that there are still people that are in need. And I think that that was one of the things that that we as an organization did was to begin to think about how do we then start to grow our own food? How do we begin to have conversations with local farmers? How do we begin to look at how do we uh, you know, as you say, the apocalypse is here, but also just dreaming about what does it look like to live in sustainable communities? How do we begin to have those conversations? How do we recognize that our responsibilities to the land and the and the waters that we live on? And to have those conversations, not with just our people, but with people that we're engaged with. And I think that that's been one of the things. So my survival mechanism, Mm. besides ordering stuff online uh, at the earliest onset to try to get any kind of paper goods in, like many people, was to begin to really stretch our imaginations about what the abundance of the Bay Area has always been. And how do we bring that back into the work that we're doing here and share that with everybody else? Mm. Ashe, may it be. So Karina, look, I have been looking forward to you and I sitting down and I just, I want us to start off with a little bit of history and context. You know, I'm born and raised in the Bay Area, even though I don't live there anymore. 
I'm not over it yet. Um, but I'm born and raised in the Bay. And um, first on SLN territory, I was born in Carmel, then raised in Miwok territory, right? I was raised in San Rafael and Tiburon eventually. And then I spent much of my life, right, on Ohlone land. So Oakland and San Francisco for like 20 plus years. You can see why my heart's like breaking. Um, and I recently relocated to Creek territory, which has definitely been awesome and an experience. It's not the Bay, but it's it's close. It's the Southern version. Um, but, you know, Karina, when I was reflecting on what I wanted to talk about with you today, I had this memory of um, going to Coleman Elementary School. And one of our assignments was to do a project about the missions. And for folks who are listening, if you don't know much about California, there were colonial missions, right, established all up and down uh, California, really for the purposes, right, of subordinating, dominating, and quote-unquote re-educating, right, indigenous people and other people that the Spanish considered to be wayward, right? So Black folks was up in there and all other kinds of folks were up in there as well. And I'm bringing this little bit of history forward because that's how I learned about indigenous people. It was through the lens of Spanish colonialism. And literally, this was happening in my elementary school, right? So I wasn't even old enough to be able to say, like, this is abusive. Like, why are we doing this, right? Is my experience unique? Is this what young people are learning in schools? Are we learning about indigeneity through the lens of colonialism? Or are we learning about indigenous peoples and indigenous life through the lens of indigenous people? Yeah, you're definitely not hearing our stories unless you're bringing us into the classroom. I think in the Bay Area, because of the work that we've done over the last 20 plus years, that it's really highlighted that we're still here. That's the reason that curriculum might be changing or teachers may look at it a different way of teaching the history. But Fourth grade history is the history that teaches us about the indigenous people of California, right? And then we disappear in fifth grade because then you learn about the gold rush. And so we're never spoken about again. It's what I call a white paper genocide. It's the continuous invisibilization of our people through um, history. We're only taught about in the past. And so you don't have to worry about us anymore because we don't exist anymore, right? Mm. Um, so we've been fighting against that whole curriculum that's been taught. And it's not just California history. It's all indigenous people's history throughout the what we call Turtle Island. California just happens to be a little bit different because we had the missionization of our people through the Spanish mission churches that came here. There were 21 of them that lasted for 99 years. And then the wave of the Rancho period, the Mexican Rancho period, where we were, we stopped being slaves at the missions and became slaves of these Mexican Rancho period during that Mexican Rancho period. And then right after that was the um, Treaty of Guadalupe de Hildago, where California became a state of the United States. And it was about outright killing Native people $5 a head and 25 cents an ear. And so we don't talk about that history in California, which is why when I tell people this history that they've never heard about people, especially adults, freak out. Kids, on the other hand, you can tell them this history 
and they understand, and they understand right and wrong and the injustices of slavery and what it would feel like and how they would like to change that. And so it's amazing that you can talk to a group of young people about this and they understand it and the adults in the background are gasping and are freaking out that we're talking about these things that happened. It's not that we're telling stories. That's right. So it's important to have Native people tell their own stories, not just during Indigenous People's Day month, and but that it's a history that was ongoing and it's still currently happening because we're not a federally recognized tribe. That means the United States government doesn't recognize us. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for our people? Because federally recognized tribes have access to land, have access to medical, have access to uh, infrastructure. Uh, um, that doesn't mean that reservations are good because there are still places in reservations that don't have electricity or running water. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can't even understand that in this day and age that there's places in the United States where people don't have access to those things that we take for granted. But in an urban setting where you wouldn't necessarily think of indigenous people, that there are indigenous people here. And the Bay Area happens to be one of the largest populations of indigenous people in the country. Mm -hmm. And we are still invisible in most people's eyes. And we are even a minority of those people that are invisibilized as Ohlone people. I'm glad that you said this, Karina. And just for people who are listening, I mean, ain't that some shit, right? (laughs) That to be federally recognized means that the federal government of the United States is going to give you back some crumbs on your own shit. Like, just to break it down for y'all real quick, like, what are we doing right now? So, Karina, for people who are living on Ohlone land, right? Because, you know, like I said, I'm Bay born and bred, and that's what we finna talk about on this podcast till the day I die. So, for people who are living on Ohlone lands, what is important to know, not just about the history, but about the present as it relates to Indigenous people? Are there parallels for people who are not living in the Bay Area, but who are most definitely also on Indigenous land? Yeah, I, I think what I like to tell people is that, well, what we, we know is true is no matter where you're at, you're on indigenous land and that people did not give this land away and that people were enslaved on their lands and that there was prison systems called reservations, that those were actually prisons. They weren't just land they gave and that the lands that usually were given as for reservations lands were unplantable and were what you call, quote unquote, throwaway uh, land that indigenous people went on. You had to have passes in order to go off of reservation. And so people don't talk about that or know that about the history of indigenous people. But I think that the important thing that we talk about is that when you begin to open up your eyes and realize that where you're living, whether it's a city or in the country, that you are an indigenous land and begin to look at what that landscape is. And what is your responsibility to the land, the waters, and the First Nation peoples on whose land you live on? Mm-hmm. How do we begin to create a relationship after all of this horrific history that we have here on these lands? And how do we begin to make it a better place for everyone for the next seven generations? And that's what we really talk about as Indigenous people, that the, re- the 
Decisions we make today will affect the next seven generations to come. And that includes the pollution of the waters and the extraction of the lands and um, all of those things that human beings are creating as a mess um, to create this climate disaster that we're all facing together as a human race, that uh, we have to figure out how do we do it better. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at the Bay Area. This is my homeland. It has only been colonized for about 200 years. So everything you see in the Bay Area, right. streets, buildings, everything has only been here for about 200 years. And before that, there was no such thing as hunger or homelessness in our territory. There was no word or concept for that, right? And today we see thousands of people all over this country, this uh, supposedly first world country that supposedly takes care of their own, thousands of people living without a roof over their head, without access to water or food, to without in this place that we call an abundance, right? That's right. How do we take our mindset back to that abundance for everyone, not just a few? Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important concept. As Indigenous people, we look at how do we take care of the whole? That's right. It's not only an Indigenous concept, it's a matriarchal concept. That's right. It's as women, as women leadership, even in our own homes as single mothers, that we make a decision to take care of everyone, extended family, not just our own. And so this whole idea of taking back our power as women to rematriate land and to rematriate our culture and the ideas of who we can be as human beings again, that got taken away during colonization, that the power of women as indigenous leaders was taken away when they took away the sacred, they took away the power of women as well. They only looked at men as leaders when in fact that was not true that men took leadership from women at that time. And so we have to begin to look at what that means um, across all of our cultures and how do we stand up. And we also have to realize that there's a lot of women folks, our sisters that have bought into this idea of patriarch Mm. and that so now all of us are on the same page, but that those of us that are have to stand together clearly in order for us to save this world for the next seven generations and beyond. If those places only been corrupted for the last few hundred years, where fresh water you could drink of out of every creek in the Bay Area, then with the technology that we have today, we must say that we can reverse that, Mm. that we can clean up the waterways, that we can ensure that there is enough fresh water, good soil, fresh air for the next seven generations, Mm. and that we as human beings must do the things that we need to do in order for that to be true. You brought up a lot of really important points. And when you were talking, I was thinking about the most recent season of the television show, Atlanta. Have you seen that show? I haven't. It's, I have not yet. Don't, don't, don't stress yourself. This okay. is like one of my guilty pleasures. But one of the episodes that he does in this most recent season is basically about how white people would react if reparations were enacted for Black people. And it made me think a lot, right, about, it's actually very comedic, right? (laughs) It made me think a lot about the land back movement, right? And why it's important to return indigenous lands to indigenous people. 
And I also think it does sometimes stir up some controversy, right? Because we have this concept of ownership. It's global, right? Because capitalism is global. It's imperialism. But there is this imperialist, right, notion of ownership. I paid for this, therefore it belongs to me. And it doesn't matter, right, that actually that is an imported framework, right? <laughs> it's an imported framework that is also, um, it's not just an ideology, but it's a set of practices that has done incredible destruction to our earth um, and to each other. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the land tax and the land trust, and if you can talk about why is it important to return indigenous lands to indigenous people? So I've been involved with um, protecting and preserving the sacred site, the West Berkeley Shell Mound, for over five and a half years. I was listed as one of the 11 most endangered historic sites in the country a year and a half ago. It is what we call private ownership, right? Because and who has the right to own someone else's sacred place? When we begin to ask ourselves, how is that possible? Who has the right to destroy a person's cultural resources, their burial sites? Only can we believe that in America that this is an ongoing issue, right. that Native people have to compromise because of private land ownership, their sacred places, and their ancestors' final resting places, that when it comes to preserving and protecting a sacred site. Now, let me say that this land was not purchased. This land was squatted in Berkeley. Come on, tell that. And so that this land now is owned by a developer that is racist and wants nothing more than to destroy That's ourselves. Um, there's nothing that laws do to protect Indigenous people when it comes to their sacred places for the most part, especially if you're not federally recognized. And so I, I rely on our allies and accomplices to do this work with us. That is it's important. Um, and I think that's one of the questions you asked about what do people do now? Well, when it is when you are in someone else's homeland, it is your responsibility to stand with those First Nations peoples on whose land you're on when it comes to protecting their sacred sites. And we ask our allies and accomplices to put their, their bodies on the front lines for us, to use their influence and resources to reach out to the people that make the decisions, that, um, that they are often in a position that as indigenous people we are not in. And so we really need their help in doing those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. When Segorite Land Trust was dreamed of as a way of getting land back because the thousands of ancestral remains that are in all the institutions in the Bay Area, in order to put them back in the ground, we needed to have land. And as non-federally recognized tribe, we found ourselves homeless in our own homeland. And so this land trust, this idea of buying back our own land, of getting land rematriated so that we could have that connection again, but also so that we could reinter the thousands of ancestors that have been destroyed because of development in our territory. And so we ask people if they live, work, or play in the Bay Area to re-engage with us as Indigenous people, to help us to do this work of rematriation, to become partners with us in this dream of thinking of something better. Karina, we have so much more to talk about. I mean, I want to get into rematriation. 
I, w- I want to get into all these things, but <laughs> we can't do it today. But we're going to do it again because there's there's more to be discussed here. I want to get into settler colonialism. Like I, I want to get into the whole shit. But before <laughs> we do and until we do, I'm hoping that you can give people some action steps. What is a call to action that you want to offer to our listeners today? Right now, I think that... Uh... I think there's like three things I'd like to ask people to do. I'd like you to go to shellmound.org and to sign up and to work with us to protect the West Berkeley Shell Mound and to flood the city council in Berkeley with emails and letters asking them to continue to support uh, protecting the West Berkeley Shell Mound in whichever way that they have the ability to do that. I think that um, if you're in the Bay Area to pay Shuumi and to share that what you've learned about Segorite Land Trust and the Lashon people with your relatives and to pass that on because that's how it works is that we begin to be in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in the Bay Area, if you're listening from somewhere else, find out who the people are from that land that you're on. What is the work that they are doing and how you can support them? Learn and ed- educate yourself about what is the language of that land what are those people doing and how can you be the most supportive in creating relationships with them? And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady just ain't going to do this week. Number one, more shootings. Now look, with so much happening in the world week to week, it is easy to lose track of the fact that almost every day in this country, someone is getting killed by a gun. I was about to say, and it ain't because they've committed a crime, but I didn't. Because even if you do commit a crime, why should you die about it? This week, people got shot up at a church in Alabama. There wasn't much on the news about it because we've been busy talking about Donald Trump and his roving band of devils, but it's happened and it's happening across the country. Again, the moral of the story is people with guns kill people. So be on the lookout when you vote this November for folks who have not only common sense approaches to gun control, but also common sense approaches to how we meet people's needs so that everyone can live safe, full, and dignified lives. Here's what we want more of this week, though. And it's a long list, because Lady loves you. January 6th hearings. So we chatted very briefly about this last week, and Lady ventured out on a limb to say that the hearings belonged in the Lady Light category. Well, Lady is sticking to her story there. And, well, let's get into it, and we can discuss Lady's advice shortly. So the January 6th hearings have been packed with stories about how Donald J. Trump and his cabal of fascists that he assembled in and out of the White House attempted to overthrow the government. Yeah, I I still, every time I say that, I'm like, this motherfucker. Attempted to overthrow the government in a tantrum that basically amounted to, fuck you for not voting for me, and now I'm going to try to kill Mike Pence for not being a total fucking liar too. These hearings were hours and hours and hours of testimony from over a thousand people who were interviewed about what they saw what they heard, and what they did to either facilitate or stop 
one of the greatest disasters in American history. I'm tempted to say too long don't watch because the people who put these hearings together made the mistake of getting so far in the weeds that unless you're a junkie for this type of shit, it's likely instead that you'll probably change the channel just to get a little bit of living single in before your next Zoom call. Now, we know what the fuck happened, but what's important about these hearings is that it lays bare how completely and totally serious these people were and still are, not just for being a sucker for Donald Trump. I mean, can you imagine this being your fucking legacy? Who am I? Oh, just somebody who looked the other way when the sitting president of the United States riled up a bunch of people to try and hang Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi because this nigga Trump ain't had a mandate to lead. No big deal. That's my legacy. What kind of shit? Anywho. (laughs) But also, these people are fucking still serious about taking power and keeping it. The Department of Justice announced that they would like to subpoena all the interviews and testimony that this January 6th commission has collected. And no doubt they have some shit up their sleeves. But real talk, though, Lady thinks it's more than likely that not much will happen from this by way of criminal charges for the criminals that propped up Donald Trump. Why, you ask? Because for some godforsaken reason, there is this very bizarre adoration for moderation in this country, but only under certain conditions, like holding people the fuck accountable for riling up the racists and giving them a fucking political platform. Also, if y'all finna do this again, have Ava or Shonda direct this thing. Other things Lady Loves this week is white nationalists getting stopped in their tracks. So this week, police in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, interrupted a plan by white nationalists to disrupt and target a pride parade there. Local police arrested 31 men, all of whom had ties to a white nationalist organization called Patriot Front. After receiving a panicked 911 call, saying that a group dressed like a little army was getting into a moving truck. Patriot Front promotes fascism and the creation of a white ethnostate. Police said no one was found with weapons, but there was a smoke grenade discovered alongside a collection of shields and shin guards and documents that were outlining what their operations were going to be. They had come from at least 11 states across the country, including Texas, Colorado, and Virginia. Since arresting this group, the police department has been receiving threats, death threats, according to Reuters. The FBI is now assisting with this investigation. In upstate New York, the Buffalo shooter was charged this week with federal hate crimes, including 10 federal counts of committing a hate crime resulting in death, three counts of committing a hate crime with the intent to kill, and 10 counts of using a firearm to commit murder during and in relationship to a crime of violence. Oh, and three counts of using and discharging a firearm in relation to a crime of violence. Now, the Justice Department complaint goes on to say that the motive for the attack was to prevent Black people from replacing white people and eliminating the white race and to inspire others to commit similar attacks. So what can Lady even say about this that would make it any clearer? Your former president lifted the sewer cover and allowed these groups back above ground, whereas before, for the most part, they were encouraged to stay in the gutter and not come out to play. Basically, folk were like, we prefer our racism a little more dry than what y'all have to offer, so stand down, we got this. (laughs) 
Well, Donald Trump was like, nah, come one, come all. Because since I am a weird ass fringe leader, I need more people to have my back. And y'all look just right for the cause. Doesn't matter that this clown ain't willing to go steady with anybody but himself. These groups have found a friend in Donald Trump and his band of wayward conspiracy theorists. But seriously, all jokes aside, y'all, if you play with fire, you gonna get burned. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Now white supremacists are energized because they got a huge fucking platform and have been recruiting like crazy, like wild, just off the strength of people being scared about change. Now they're jumping out of moving trucks, trying to disrupt pride parades, shooting up black people in grocery stores and writing manifestos and shit. You really can't make this shit up. These people would like to start a civil war in this country. And I am not saying that with any level of facetiousness. That's their actual goal, to use violence to promote and advance their agenda of a white ethno state. Now, Lady certainly does not love that, but what she does love is that A, in this little blue dot in Idaho, the police were not with the shits, which is interesting given the context where white supremacists are all up inside law enforcement agencies. And B, that the Department of Justice and the FBI is all up in the shit too. Now, before any of you waywards try to accuse me of cheering for the police, let me just say this. That's actually their fucking job. And as long as we have police, I would prefer that they do shit like that as opposed to the shit we'd see them doing in our communities. Yes, I said it. Other things that Lady loves this week is the runoff election for Secretary of State in Georgia that is happening Tuesday. In Georgia, there will be a runoff election to determine who the Democratic candidate will be for the Secretary of State. As we've discussed previously on this podcast, B. Wen will face off against D. Dawkins Hagler. Lady has been hearing interesting tidbits on politics as it relates to this race in particular, especially that there's a significant amount of mudslinging going on. And in particular, claims that because Dawkins Hagler is black and Wen is Vietnamese, that voting for Wen would amount to racism. Now, rest assured, my friends, that this is a ridiculous assertion, particularly because that is not actually how racism works. My friends, I have said many, 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 many times that racism isn't about people being mean to each other. That's an impact of racism, an effect, if you will. But the cause of racism is systemic exclusion based on shit you can't do anything about because you don't have the power to make the rules or change them. By systemic, I mean designed by and enforced by rules. There are no rules that make Vietnamese people more powerful than Black people. There are no laws that give Vietnamese people power and privilege at the expense of Black people. Not one. So, unless you are somehow restricted from voting for a Black person over a Vietnamese person, by law, stop saying that shit is racist. Racism is what happens when you make a bunch of laws making it harder for some people to vote. That's an example of racist shit. But further than that, in so many ways, voting is about choosing the person that is best to move your agenda forward. And if you can't stay focused on telling the people why a vote for you is a better vote than a vote for another person based on your record, your values, and your vision for the role, you definitely ain't getting my vote. Anywho. I fucking love y'all and I love this podcast. Let's keep it going. Welcome back to Ladies Love Notes, where we give you 
all of the real about being single and dating in your 40s. Listen, y'all. Every week when I'm preparing the podcast, I'm on the fence about what to add in these here love notes. But God always provides. This week, I have had no fewer than five different people reach out to me about breakups after long-term relationships. Now, a few of y'all have reached out about dating after long-term relationships. And I want to tell you, my heart both breaks and sings for us, y'all. I'm here to affirm, this shit is a lot. Now, I am by no means an expert on any of this shit. I am learning right beside you. Please believe it. One thing I can offer that I think is working for me and I hope will work for you too, be patient with and kind to yourself. Now, people ask me if I'm dating here in the ATL, and honestly, I'm not. Sometimes I want to, but a lot of the time, I'm like a little scared to, if I'm being honest. I mean, I've had a lot of change in a short period of time, and I had my fucking heart broken in an epic way. So my grind these days is about doing a lot of prayer, staying consistent with my therapy, and learning more about what I want and need in relationships in the first place. I did my share of catting off before I left the Bay, but something is different in this place. I'm learning the place, the people, the heat, all that. I'm also learning about weightlifting, and I I fucking love that. In this learning phase, it is all about excavation, digging up all of those calcified artifacts that shape how I be on any given day of the week. It's also learning about how to really be alone. Back home, I was on my own, but I was with my community. I was in my stomping grounds I've been in since I was a baby. Here, I know a few people. I'm meeting more, but everything is new to me, and I actually spend a lot of time alone. Right now, I'm liking it, but it still takes some getting used to. It's a lot. I probably cried two to three times a week. And whenever I feel weird about that, I'm like, girl, it's good. It's called releasing. I can still feel And I'd be looking at all that shit in the face like, whoa, that was hard and that hurt, but I release you. Sometimes I swap stories with my girlfriends about the streets and we confirm for and with each other that we do not, in fact, belong to the streets. I'm working up to the part where I let myself get out there again. And I think that makes sense, right? I mean, when you're starting over after a heartbreak or a separation or both, it's totally natural to feel like you don't know what you're doing. And Quite possibly, you don't. (laughs) I know I don't. But for those of you who are reeling from a breakup or healing from a breakup and or getting back out there after a breakup and feeling a little bit clumsy and gun shy, it's totally okay. It's real weird out there. And also, you're adapting to a new set of circumstances. It's pretty normal to be looking around there like, what the fuck is even happening here? Now, I share these notes with you, my friends, in the hopes, dear listeners, that something in here resonates for you. And if nothing else, that you don't feel alone in this. As I said last episode, it's been a year for me since me and my dude broke up. Now, a lot has happened in that last year. And at the same time, it still kind of feels like it just happened yesterday. I haven't dated, like really dated, since I was in my 20s. The challenge, though, for me right now is I don't want to date like I did in my 20s. I mean, there was like that one white guy who knew everything about black everything. 
and we went out on a date and afterwards he invited me over and when I walked in his house, he had not one book that was not about black people. Yeah, I definitely called it right there and then and I didn't talk to him again until probably about five years ago. Okay, he's married now to a black woman, but we'll talk about that another time. I'm so shady. Um, it could not be me. I mean, then there was that other guy I dated in my 20s. He was totally beautiful. And when I say fine, this man was fine, fine. But like, I still think about how fine he was. To this day, he had long, beautiful hair. He rode a motorcycle. He did tattoos and he had beautiful tattoos. And I was so enamored when he asked me out until I realized after we'd gone out once or twice and then ended up at his place afterwards, I was pretty sure he was gay and not out yet. I mean, I have stories for days about dating in my 20s. And my point is this. I'm too old to be dating like I was in my 20s. And that has nothing to do with the number of people I date or do whatever with and everything to do with who I'm spending my time with. At 41, I just don't feel like I have all the time in the world to waste. I'm definitely not trying to get married right now or maybe ever, even, ever again. I don't want to date the people I would have dated at 20. So I'm working on that. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I am definitely a romantic. I believe in connections that you least expect. I believe in chance. Every time I've ever met someone I've fallen in love with and who has loved me back, it just happened. Spotting each other in a crowd, a random direct text message, an awareness like, oh, there's a little energy here and I like how that feels. I'm not on the apps. I don't do online dating or whatever or whatnot. Not because it's whack in general. I don't know about it, but because I know the way I fall in love is energy, not profiles and swipes. But being open to all that, whether you're down for online dating or not, it takes work and mostly self-work. I'm most definitely working on myself right now. I'm going to be even more of a catch than I already am, honey, because I am working on healing all the shit that gets me caught up in the shit I don't want. Now, in order to do that well, it requires me to be patient with myself and exercise some very, very good advice that my bestie gave me the other day, which is let things unfold. Now, of course, my therapist is on this same shit with me too, okay? And after nearly a year of going back and forth with this man I still love and I'm working on falling out of love with and finally making some good progress, I think, I don't know. My therapist always says to me, what would happen if you didn't jump in to save, direct, analyze, or otherwise try and control the situation? We want you to find someone who can meet you in all the right ways. Their shit's together. They don't disappear. You have mutual benefit. And they can actually hold you down when you need it. You can breathe deep because you know they actually really fucking got you. How will you know if you've actually met that person if you keep jumping in to make them that person. Yes. I mean, I'm telling you, she'd be reading me every week. Weekly. Let things unfold. Remember my mantra for the year? Patience and surrender. Patience and surrender, in other words, letting things unfold, has saved me from some dumb shit in the last few months. And what it hasn't saved me from, it has allowed me not to get caught up in for long. Letting things unfold is teaching me some stuff about being patient, not trying to control everything, including fate and destiny. Also, people will tell on themselves if you're not too busy making them your hopes and dreams, so let motherfuckers do their thing. But also, 
patience and surrender and letting things unfold has also meant I've had to let go of trying to control who I meet, how I meet them, and how it goes. (laughs) Yes, I want to get swept away by somebody. I want to meet someone and I want to feel chemistry and butterflies and I want to have a first kiss and a first fuck and all the firsts. For the first time in a long time, though, I'm working on not being in a committed relationship. I'm working on letting go of something that I was pretty sure was going to be my forever. And I'm working on not comparing everybody to him. It's a lot of work, and some days I do better than others. I'll admit it. Sometimes my surrender looks like cynicism. It's something I'm grappling with, for sure. I mean, like I said, I'm a romantic, and even though that's true, I'm kind of tied up in a story that I might not find someone, or at least not someone who sparked in me what that man did and and still, in some ways still does. But that's where patience comes in. Who am I to tell the future? Better to just be present and patient and let life unfold. It's less pressure that way. I'm proud of myself. Proud of myself for saying yes to meeting new people, even if and when it turned out they weren't for me for one reason or another. I'm proud of myself for having and enforcing my boundaries. And the good news is this. I'm getting clearer about what I want and what lady just ain't finna do no more. It's the Wild West out there, y'all. Be gentle with yourself. There's no need to rush back in unless and until you're ready. But when you finally are ready, remember to let things unfold. How can people follow you on the socials? Follow your amazing work. Uh, Sigortelandtrust.org is our website. And we are on Instagram and on Facebook. And West Save the West Berkeley Shell Mound is also on uh, both of those, Facebook and uh, Instagram. It's been incredible having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. And folks, please... Do what you can to both learn about the indigenous lands that you're on and the people. Um, please make a donation to the Scorate Land Trust. And also tell your homies about everything you just heard here today. Thank you so much, Karina, for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I'll be back every Friday with a new conversation and some more news you can use. We appreciate you joining us and please let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. And let's give a special shout out to Jahari Farrar for making sure the people get what they need from our socials. We appreciate you. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Bilaterics. This pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, 
I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, let things unfold. That's right. I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. don't respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curious. She got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Never luxurious. Love y'all.